0: We hear a lot about becoming the best version of ourselves. But what version is that? How do we clarify our understanding of who we really are at our core? And how can we most effectively open up that best version to the world, thus enhancing the positive impact we have in our families, our work settings, communities, and the world? Welcome to the latest episode of the Catalyst 360 podcast, your trusted resource for the best in engaging evidence-based health wellness and performance insights i'm your host dr brad cooper of catalyst coaching and today's guest is dr linda barons dr barons and i met 20 years ago when i attended an in-depth mbti certification program through her institute in california i was so impressed by her unique approach that we began integrating many of her insights into our trainings and she and i eventually wrote a little book together which somewhat humorously brought out our very different interaction styles in the process she is the co founder and lead architect for Inner Strength. She's been teaching professionals since 1982 and is recognized internationally for her theoretical contributions in the field of psychological type and the development of user friendly training materials used worldwide. We'll be focusing today on her Inner Strength core approach, which, as you'll find out, goes well beyond typology. It's not just an assessment, you fill it out, you get your label, and you move forward. Instead, it allows space for individuality, growth, realignment, and understanding of patterns rather than boxing people into an assessment label. She's also agreed to do a live assessment with me as an example, which you'll hear right at the end of the interview. It's basically the last half. So you can either fast forward, hear that first, and then come back and get your context or get that context and flow into it. As always, if you'd like to discuss anything coaching related, you can reach out to us at results at catalystcoachinginstitute.com. Whether you're considering pursuing your MBHWC-approved coach certification or maybe you're an employer looking for ways to effectively support not just the physical, but the emotional and mental health of your employee team members, please reach out. And for those who are thinking about that certification, the next cohort kicks off in less than three weeks. So do not wait if that's a priority. We've got another one coming up in April, but now is your chance if you're ready to jump in. Again, either way, emails results at catalystcoaching.com. Institute.com. Now it's time to tap into the insights of inner strength with Dr. Linda Behrens on the latest episode of the Cattle's 360 podcast. All right, Dr. Behrens, it is so fun to see you. It has been, as I said in the intro, it has been 20-ish years since we've sat down in the same room. I went through your training. It was an incredible experience. So it's just so nice to have you back and have you on the show to share all these insights and, and even more with the folks that are listening.
1: Well, thanks so much for asking me. Uh, You were one of our early adopters, so I've sort of kept track of you, but recently (laughs) lost track of what's going on.
0: (laughs) I I get it. I get it. No doubt. So we're going to focus today on the inner strength core approach, which you've developed. You've been utilizing worldwide, number of different settings. You're training people that are using it all across the world. A a lot of people are familiar with, I'll put it in quotes, self-assessments like DISC, Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, that kind of stuff. How does this tool or this process differ from, or how is it similar to some of those things that people may have heard of in the past?
1: <laughs> I started <laughs> off with, a long time ago with temperament from David Kersey, mm-hmm. who you know, wrote Please Understand Me, that took the world by storm as a self-published book. And it was in my master's program, and it was in the psychopathology class. And in our whole, my whole training in my masters and post masters was in systems theory looking at things from a systems perspective um and then of course uh the myers briggs came into the picture and david Kersey had had this model for a long time and it was based on centuries centuries the temperament model that he developed he said he just is a fitter he put it all together mm-hmm. you know he he didn't he didn't create it, he says. Um, so I learned that in the master's program in counseling. But um, when he, um, you know, it, he he came up with those things and then he related it to the Myers-Briggs. Mm. And it, it didn't match the type code. It, it matches the types, but not the the parallel construction of the letters. So that that was where I got started with that. And then I started doing MBTI qualifying programs.
0: And folks, MBTI and then, is Myers Briggs type indicator. So if you hear us yeah. use that phrase, that kind of rolls off our tongue. But for those that are like, wait, what are they saying? So keep going. I'm
1: sorry. No, no, that's no, fine. I forget. This came out, and I was uh, attending the Association for Psychological Type. Conferences, uh, people kept saying, "Well, what's disk and how does it relate to type? And I looked at it and it didn't quite relate right. Um, so um then I came across social styles, and I liked their descriptions better, but I still thought it, it you know probably relates. How could we make it relate? So then I developed uh, another lens called interaction Styles and identified four patterns there. And it related like much like what Kersey did with the Myers-Briggs and Temperament, I did the same thing with interaction styles and said which types would have preferences for in charge, which types would have preferences for behind the scenes, you know, get things going and charge, of course. And and so it turned out again, it wasn't parallel construction. And so that that they they relate in that they're all trying to look at the different lenses, looking at human behavior. We now call temperament essential motivators because it's about those things that motivate us. And then temperament always had other meanings, like the temperament of dogs and, <laughs> and some other personality theories that were called temperament. So I wanted it to be differentiated. And it speaks to what kind of information it tells you. Um, those those were two things. and um, what happened is because we didn't have instruments for temperament or central motivators or interaction styles, um, because I found the disc and the social styles instruments didn't work as accurately. We started doing a self-discovery process by presenting the four patterns of either lens and having people try them on and identify them. And then In the beginning, because I was doing MBTI qualifying programs. In other words, I was helping people get licensed to to purchase the Myers-Briggs. I would, you know, we would use the the Myers-Briggs as a data point. And I stopped using instruments some time ago, but it still relates. So and then there are all these other instruments out there now. So I have a little bit of a bias against instruments.
0: <laughs> well, t- talk us through that, because you you shared that with me a little bit before we were chatting. I was going to ask you that later, but you've led right into it. As you, as you mentioned, sometimes the assessment is a, a blinder for the user. It preconceives the process before you do the self-discovery. Uh, but walk us through that more, because we're so used to these days, hopping on a website, doing an assessment, getting our results, and then being like, okay, this is me now. Uh, wh- what? What? What's your mindset with the assessment piece of that? Because mm-hmm. they're so popular.
1: They are. Um, the thing is that when they're accurate, they're wonderful. And when they're not, they do harm. Yeah. Because people start to live out a pattern and other people start to assume that that particular label fits you and so it can be really like misleading and can um lead people i think sometimes into careers that they wouldn't ordinarily choose right. based on oh well this is it but you shouldn't use an instrument anyway like that just for a career decision it's a whole lot more so that was my problem was the error rate was so high. And for years, um, we did workshops for the University of Toyota, and my colleague uh, did those trainings. And we created our own little instruments for those models because instruments were the thing. And she would do a self discovery process and have them take, have them take the instrument, do the self discovery process. They would decide what fit them, and then she would give them the <laughs> instrument results back. And at the end, they would choose the instrument results over what their experience hmm. were hmm. so part of that part of the challenge is that people trust a test and no, it's not a test but right, right, right. you know that that's the perception right. and 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 the problem is there are two things that's one problem. The other thing is that when you're looking at the parts of a system, you miss essential qualities of the whole system and we're complex living systems and so there's the the approach we take is more holistic because we're looking at at the patterns first and living systems have patterns i suppose mechanical systems have patterns too but what is essential is the pattern is there, and then the processes that are engaged that you engage in help maintain that pattern. They serve that pattern, so the pattern rules the processes. Mm. So I have a preference for intuiting and thinking on the Myers Briggs. Adding up N and T, the, the code, the intuiting and thinking, doesn't begin to explain who I am as a as a whole person. Right. And so we started looking at the patterns holistically. Um, you can look at 16 types. I don't know anybody that can hand, that can remember 16 <laughs> names. I can't even, and I invented them.
0: I'm exactly with you. Exactly, yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, but, but still, uh, we, Dario Nardi, a colleague of mine, Early student and then colleague, um, we we came up with these names. So my pattern is called designer theorizer, and what you see most is the theorizing, and then what maybe isn't quite as visible is the designer. So I have that you know that's the pattern that that's the theme of my life. I guess there are other issues with assessments. <laughs> Or instruments, and that is that they 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 may be biased by the sample that takes them. Mm. And then, if you a really good study is a best fit study. Um, The Myers Briggs has done the the Myers Briggs company has done a few of those, but not many thorough ones. That's very challenging to do, or to do these best fit type studies. So it's just there's always a question of accuracy and 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 the parts hearts versus whole issue.
0: Well, and folks, we're going to be going through, Dr. Barnes has agreed to take me through a, an abbreviated version, but it kind of give you a sense of what that self-discovery process looks like. So if you want, that'll be in the back half of this interview. If you want to fast forward, listen to that and then come back and hear how all of this integrates in that, that may fit your style a little bit more. Let's talk a little bit more about this growth process. You've been doing this for about 35 years. What are some of the things you've discovered in recent years and and define that as you would three years, five years, whatever, that would have changed the way you approach things 20 years ago, 30 years ago, or even 10 years ago? What What are some of the things that you're doing different? You're seeing it differently mm-hmm. than you were X number of years ago?
1: Well, I've found out that there were some biases in some of the descriptions. So I went, I've worked on, on new, new iterations of the descriptions.
0: Um, And those biases were coming from the sample size that you were spending your time with or your students or where did that develop out of?
1: sorry, it it really was about the the various the the descriptions and, and those original descriptions on temperament, for example, from David Kersey. His data pool was really a, a little bit, you know, it was it was it was limited. And um I think that there's some stereotypes for, let's say, the stabilizer pattern. So the stabilizer pattern has a core psychological need. That was another thing we identified. What's the core need? And uh, the need is for uh, having a place to make a contribution and belonging. They can be described, these people with this pattern, if you describe the pattern, you can look at a sample of those people who are very traditional in the way that they're thinking and 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 yet there will be other people who aren't, but it depends on the sample is part of it. But there's also just some biases that were in there, like the improviser, those with an SP preferences, preference if you're doing Myers-Briggs talk, often were described as risk takers. And yes, that's part of it, but that's not the essence of what that means. And so... Uh, That was one of the the things that has changed is just a constant looking at the patterns and seeing, uh, can we describe them better? The other one is I've learned a lot more about human development and developmental stages that we go through. And the Jungian basis for psychological type has in it a map for development, so there are these different processes, and uh, we have some that we prefer, and we tend to exercise those, just like we tend to do our. If we exercise, mine's couch potato, but I know yours is running. So, <laughs> you know, but but you have these things that that sort of come naturally that you tend to do, but that doesn't mean you can't do other things. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things is the the complexity that we need to have, we as practitioners at least, should have, should be taking into account before we stick a label on someone or before we lead them to something. So most of what I'm finding is when I'm doing a self-discovery process or a clarifying or the people in my courses are still sorting, some of them are still trying to sort out what fits them. And it's a process that takes a while. And what I'm always filtering on is this culture. There are cultural themes, yes,
0: yes, yes. that
1: make a huge difference in terms of of what a particular way you might develop. So, whereas uh, in the U.S. culture, the general um, culture for the uh, is more independent and autonomous. And if you are in some of the Middle Eastern cultures, you're in a more collectivist culture, where it's the collective and the behavior is determined by the collective. Those are just cultures. There's not a a sequence of development that's going to take you one way or another. It's just going to vary according to cultures. And so i found that um, generations is another one of those variables. So there are certain, I mean, the kids these days... It's amazing the stuff that they are tuned into and pay attention to uh, things that me and my small town in Kansas at that age, I had no clue about some of those things. And some of it has to do with the Internet, with cell phones, with, you know, all these other other kinds of things. So the biggest difference is that our approach takes all of those things into account before we slap a label or before we even make a suggestion. And and then that's the other piece is that when I'm working with somebody, and most of mine are clarifying conversations, not initial ones. But when I'm working with somebody and they're kind of like, well, well yeah, this and that, then I just tell them to try them on and 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 see how they fit.
0: And so you, you do exactly that. I still have a memory and I share the story. When I was going through your training, I I came in thinking from the MBTI that I was here and you just, you never said anything. You were just like, hmm, why don't you take this home to read tonight? And I'd come back the next day and be like, oh, that was really interesting. Why don't you take this home tonight? And <laughs> you kept doing that. i, I I still remember that clear as day. So you're, you're leaning into, you're helping us understand why the, the discovery process is so valuable. I I was thinking, as you were talking about, I got together with a couple of buddies, we were college roommates. So this has been 33, 34 years ago. And both of them, we were on a long road trip together and and both of them were saying, Brad, you're, you're such a risk taker. And, and I looked at it and I was like, what? What? Like? What do you mean? I don't. I don't see myself that way. And they're like, well, you know, you guys started your business and do you know? And they list off a few things, and, and my response was, yeah, but in the bigger context, I'm not a risk taker because I've been super fortunate to have this incredibly stable marriage with Susanna. So I don't have any anomalies or variables happening there. That's throwing into, you know, the, the element of risk. Uh, we have not put our life savings on the line for anything we've pursued. So it's a very selective, in quotes, risk-taking. But it's interesting because they saw it, A, and I was looking at it going, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Is that the type of thing that you bring out through this self-discovery process? That something that looks like A turns out to be much more like B?
1: Yeah, and that also makes it more complicated because as you mature, my guess is it's been a few years, right? So you've had a lot more life experiences now than you had when you came into the training. So context is everything, really, because we often behave in certain ways in a certain context, and we also grow and develop and develop certain skills, and and there's a so some of those characteristics are in the eye of the beholder, for example, like the risk-taking. Um, but but some of them are, there's a grain of truth in them because uh, for the pattern where risk-taking is a characteristic, the improviser, and that's what improvising is, uh, changing things according to changing situations. So it's, in some ways, a more calculated risk than if I just went to the store and bought an oven and a stovetop for the kitchen remodel because they were on sale, and maybe I didn't really ask many questions about that stovetop, and who knows what it'll be like. So other situations for me to be, whereas usually I'm not, I take a lot of time to gather information. You know, I don't think I was reckless with it. But on the other hand, you know, I, I took a risk. People would never say I was a risk-taker.
0: <laughs>
1: but on the other hand...
0: <laughs> but when it comes to kitchens... All right, so l- let's, let's set the stage for folks as far as some of these very basic definitions. And folks, we'll have links to her resources so you can really dig into this deeper. But could you walk us through the four essential motivators, which some folks may remember, or think of as temperament, and then the four interaction styles. Could you give us just kind of a a 10,000-foot view of each of those eight under the two different categories?
1: Yeah. So uh, I think that temperament or essential motivators rules, it's a very powerful pattern because the kind of information that model or lens gives you is what are the core psychological needs. And then some values that go with that. And then talents that we have to scratch that itch that the needs create. And then some behaviors. There's the improviser. I mentioned that a little bit. Stabilizer. Catalyst and theorist. So the, the essential qualities of the improviser pattern are that they have um, a hunger for freedom and to have an impact Uh, consequently psychological death is to have no freedom and to not have an impact Um, and the talent that goes with that is is tactics so they tend to be really good and inclined to see what actions need to be taken in this context so kind of contextual intelligence so that's the improviser pattern okay the stabilizer pattern the core psychological need is to. It's often said it's about belonging, but it, we all have a need for belonging. So it isn't. It isn't about why. why what's behind that? It's about having a place to contribute, to make a con- contribution, and to make sure that the world goes on. So continuity, stability, uh, that kind of thing, and the talent that they have for that to get scratch that itch is logistics. Absolutely talented at just automatically thinking of getting the right things in the right place at the right time and the right quantity, the right quality, making sure things go right and things don't go wrong. Yeah, so that's that's the 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 talent that makes sure that you have some stability, Hence the name stabilizer. Um, by the way, Kersey called that uh, that pattern the guardian and the improviser he called the artisan. We didn't like artisan because it seemed it had too many m- meanings that. Right.
0: Yeah, we've seen that too. You know, go
1: with that. Yeah. And, and so to, so anyway, so uh, we decided to to go a little bit deeper in what we were trying to convey. Okay, so those those are two. The theorist, um, the name is a little too theoretical sounding, but that's what we came up with. <laughs> so the theorist, the core psychological need for someone with a theorist pattern is that uh, to be knowledgeable and competent and to have mastery over some, over whatever it is that they set out to do that can look like the skillful performance of the improviser by the way <laughs> but it's it's really this mastery and sometimes to the point of getting mastery and then oh, okay well i've done that now let's get some more mastery <laughs> right so having that core psychological need and
0: then um the does that person tend to go, or maybe there's not a pattern from A to B to C? Like they hit the plateau and it's time to move on, or do they hit the plateau and then they want to take it up a notch and hit another plateau and take? It, or could it be either one?
1: It could be either one. Okay. There, there's another lens. <laughs> we yes, have a new lens. Which we're gonna, yes.
0: <laughs> Very perfect. So, Good reminder. I mean,
1: there's even another one, a new one. But at any rate, so that the um, but there is that uh, it depends on there's this hunger for being competent and having the competency and learning things. And if you have to do something, you, someone with this pattern like myself will tend to do a bunch of research or get information from someone they really trust.
0: And that's our former rational, I'm guessing.
1: Former rational. um, And the problem with that name rational is most people, you know, it's highly valued in Western culture. So, People wanted to identify with that. But it it had some sense, always looking for a rationale to explain things. And the talent that goes with that is strategy. And strategy is not just, you know, strategic planning. Anybody that strategic planning involves all of these, but it's having that sense of we need to go here and here's how we need to get there. And sometimes that just comes or it can be if we go here, these are the things that are going to go wrong. And they're often things that aren't seen by other people, that okay. aren't noticed. A little more abstract thinking. So that's the third one. Uh, the fourth one is we call catalyst. Uh, Kersey called it idealist. And the problem there was nobody in the business world wanted to hire an idealist. <laughs> um, and uh, there was a story from one of my uh, co-authors on another book uh, told that he... There were some, the N and F is the type code. So they were up on the chart and the boss walked in and said, what are those people doing here? He didn't want anybody with that preference there. So we, we can't make assumptions about what people can and can't do. Anyway, so we call it the the catalyst because, you know, a catalyst in chemistry, what little I know of it, is something that enters into an interaction but maintains its own identity. It exactly. doesn't use itself. That, it.
0: that, I mean, that's us. That's You can see the sign behind me, Catalyst. Yeah. That's why we love it, is exactly your description. You have an impact, but you don't get used up in the process.
1: Right. And so it's the um, focus, you know, what catalyzing does is it, is it provides growth and development. Uh, there's often an ideal out there that they're going toward. So that need is for authenticity um, to have a unique identity. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. And, And the talents that help others get there and help them have that sense is what we call diplomacy, not political diplomacy, but recognizing where people are coming from and and understanding the unwritten or the unspoken things behind all of that. Okay. And often interested in growth and development.
0: So those are the essential motivators, or or folks may have heard of them as temperament. Now the the next four, and folks, these aren't separate, they're within each of the essential motivators, and Linda, please correct me if I'm wrong, but within each of those four that she just described, she's now going to describe four different Uh, what do we call them styles interaction styles that exist within each of those four is that correct
1: right so you could have so there are four four names um
0: so within the improviser you have in charge to chart the course course. to get things going and behind the scenes
1: right okay so and the kind of information this gives us is a, is it's what it's named interaction. What it, what it, how do they tend to uh, interact with others? Okay. And um, and it's there's a it's an energy pattern. I think this lens lives in the body, where I think essential motivators maybe we could say lives in the heart. And what's a, hard, oh, a challenging thing with interaction styles is that um, oftentimes we have to behave differently than we are inclined to behave. You know, so I don't have an in-charge style by nature, but there are times when I have to be in charge. Right. You know, so so starting off with that one, in-charge. So in-charge is all about accomplishing things. It isn't about being the boss. It's about making sure things are on track and that they're getting done. So you can have a theorist within charge, catalyst within charge, as you said, any stabilizer, ones? any of those. Okay. Um, it would look different uh, according to each one, but it's that is that the essential qualities of that are to um, accomplish something, to 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 actually get an achievable result. That's the aim. Okay. So that one's good. You could be the person in charge. You don't have to have that style. So it's it's really there are all kinds of leaderships things that could go with that okay so then uh, there's chart the course and chart the course is a little more contained in the energy um, and it's about um, wanting the the drive is to anticipate they want to have to anticipate and to get an an, um, where for in charge it's about an achievable result here it's a desired result So, even sometimes the anticipation is really focusing on what's that result we want to get. And um, so, having it it could be an agenda for a meeting, it could be a a sort of a long term plan, lots of forms it could take, but it's to be able to anticipate. And the stress, it's stressful when you can't anticipate, just like for in charge, it's stressful when an achievable result isn't being, hap- isn't happening. And of course, when t- for that, you know, take charge is kind of what the <laughs> stress response looks like for in charge and charge the course kind of to leave the field and go away. the a stress response
0: Okay.
1: until you can get a course charted.
0: <laughs> so that right. person so. will literally step away if it's not happening the way they expect, anticipate, well, desire. Uh,
1: yeah. It's, it's not like there's, they may, remove themselves like under stress like to take long drives or runs um or just you know you know if they're not totally upset (laughs) if they may just say let me think about that okay so it's sort of just kind of moving away from the interaction and then so the next style kind of can explain what might happen with that so the other style to talk about is get things going and it's about getting involvement, having people be involved, and you get then the result is one that people can buy into. So it's not always about consensus, but it's about you know having buy-in to the result, and um, that's that's what get things going is about. It's a much more effusive, friendly kind of energy, and uh, you could see how chart the course needs some distance and. Get things going is wanting to involve, and so you know there could be some challenges there. <laughs> and then the other one is behind the scenes. So that that energy pattern is usually kind of usually kind of quiet. Doesn't mean they aren't gregarious or talk talkative, but but mostly taking in information and seeking information. And so um, until they get enough information that. It suddenly it goes ka and now it's time to to move forward, and so just because I did the diagonals the other way, you know, so if you have an in charge and you want to see an achievable result, if that's your pattern, then you may have some frustration with somebody who's taking, doesn't seem to be acting or doing anything because uh, they're trying to get the best result possible.
0: Now, you've talked, I was, as I was preparing for this interview, I was watching some of your videos, reading some of your your blogs. Um, You talk about one of the nice things with this is you can step out of, it's not being inauthentic to step out into a different style. And when you understand clearly that style, knowing it's waiting for you to return back to is a very comforting thing. So I can step out, I'm a natural introvert, I can step out, have this fun time with you and then the rest of the day i can spend editing and writing for some upcoming newsletters and that kind of thing to to come back into that i just want some time alone feeling <laughs> so can you expand on that a little bit more i thought that was really really interesting the the knowledge that you have the real you waiting allows you to more effectively or more freely step out into this other
1: yeah. The way I say that is it's easier to be who you're not when you know who you are.
0: Mm, wow. That was beautiful.
1: I think I wrote it somewhere, but I can't. Yeah, You remember should quote where. that
0: one and copyright it. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. Um, okay. So, so build on that a little bit. I love, love, love that statement. Tell tell us more about that.
1: Well, I think with, with interaction styles, especially, it's also true with essential motivators, but with interaction styles, um, uh, you can slip and slide according to kind of what the general energy is and what this what the situation needs. Um, I just think that if we understand ourselves, then we know better how to get our core needs met and our core drivers met. And that that then uh, then when we're in a situation that requires something else, hopefully we've got the skills because you have to have some yeah. practice usually to do those things. But we 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 don't have to feel like we've given up ourselves. And while the catalyst essential motivator pattern is the one that's focused on that identity, we all need a sense of identity and a sense of uniqueness. And yeah, so I think that that's it it just helps to know about the differences and then to recognize, you know, what's needed in the situation and to consciously choose. What often happens is we grow up in environments where we're not where we're the odd person out, mm. where we don't match what the parents expected, what the culture expects. Uh, hence, I don't intend to ever go back to Frankfurt, Kansas again. <laughs> that was my story. And that's why type made a big difference in my life, because I could realize this is who I am. And I'm not just a good student. This is who I am. And this is what I need. And then as I've grown and developed, and of course, um, I'm a a fairly analytical person. So theories, theorist pattern, for example. But uh, I'm also working in the people, the business. (laughs) And as I got into that training, I learned a set of skills that I might not have learned if I had become just a software engineer. But it's, it's always helped me to understand that I'm okay the way I am. And that sometimes the reason I'm so stressed is I'm trying to do things that aren't my talents, and I need to find somebody to help me or to at least stop beating up on myself for not, you know, not, not doing those things.
0: So would that be a A trigger or a red flag you might encourage people to tune into is when you're feeling stress. Consider whether at least a significant part of your day is spent in that essential motivator grouping.
1: Yeah, and 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 uh, or or, are are you in?
0: Are
1: you in an situation where? You know, I can facilitate, I can be pretty outgoing in a classroom, but if I had to do it all the time and initiate interactions, then I would be exhausted. I I suppose, you know, for me, logistics isn't my talent, but I, I'm a sole proprietor, but the internet's made things so easy for me to do. It's easier for me to do them, to teach somebody to, to, to help me, but then I get overloaded with logistics and then if you have molded your kitchen and you have to remodel your kitchen and buy a stove,
0: stuff like that. I think she's doing her kitchen, folks. What do you think? Are you picking <laughs> up on this? Right. <laughs> okay, let me ask you one more question. And then we'll go through the, the abbreviated self-assessment that you were going to walk through at the end. So okay. you are basically the Jedi master of understanding others. I'm going to flip the mirror over and ask, what about you? Are, are there times that you... You've been doing this for 37 years, helping other people understand themselves. Do, do you often, occasionally, never look at yourself and go, where did that come from? Well,
1: I'm not sure what you mean, but where did
0: that come from? You know yourself as well as anyone knows themselves based on all the work you've been doing. In spite of knowing yourself, do you come across reactions, responses, decisions that you think, huh? I don't know, like, or do, or do you naturally just say, "Oh, there, there was that thing. There, there was that. That's a because uh, I've this, this, or this."
1: Uh, no, sometimes um, there are some things who are really that are really overwhelming. And um, I actually, one of my students, or our students, advanced students, um, I was talking with her, and she said, "You know, you're trying to learn too many things And once. The brain isn't wired that way." And then I went to my doctor and said, you know, foggy brain. She says, Linda, that's multitasking. Your <laughs> brain's not wired that way. So, uh, yeah, you know, COVID was easy. No, not the whole thing was easy, sure, sure. but I had already converted to online training. So that was easy. But now there are all these new models and all of these other things. And so I get caught up in those and I have, to, and then I have to say, oh, yeah. I'm expecting myself to learn all this stuff and be an expert immediately.
0: Mm.
1: At the same time, you know, I have other things I have to to learn and do. So, yeah, I get caught up. But most of the time, and of course, it kind of goes along with the personality pattern. I tend to analyze things and uh, I get a great deal of relief just from figuring it out where somebody (laughs) else might need to do something
0: else. Oh, I love it. I love it. All right. Well let's transition over, let's hand the mic to you and just go through the self assessment and, and folks have been listening to these two hundred and fifty some episodes, they know I'm I'm pretty open book. So feel free to take this any direction you'd like. I think I'm comfortable sharing just about everything. So take it away and let's see where this leads. So folks, this is an example of an abbreviated version of what this process could look like if you go through Dr. Barron's training, if you tap into some of the resources that she has and the certifications, that kind of thing. This is just a a simplified example of that in real time for you.
1: Okay, so I will just preface that with, I listen with four sets of lenses. I listen for all of those all at once. So I just ask a lot of uh, questions now. Most of the time I'm helping people clarify these days. I don't usually get clients that I'm doing a beginning one-on-one unless it's an organization where we're doing a Teams thing. Anyway, so I I just ask these questions. Okay, so Brad, tell me a little bit about the work you do and what you find exciting. Or energizing. (laughs) Yeah,
0: so we provide, we're we're a coaching, national coaching organization. We provide coach training for folks that want to become nationally board certified and influence other people's lives. And then we provide coaching for organizations nationwide, folks that want to plug that into whatever their employee benefits program is, or partner with other employee wellness programs that are more tech oriented, or maybe plug into an EAP, employee assistance program or something similar. So that's the umbrella you're asking the pieces or the feelings that I enjoy? Which, which route yeah. do you want me to go there?
1: Well, what do you find most rewarding, most exciting, Throughout most energizing?
0: Yeah. yeah. I would say when I see somebody's eyes light up because they are like, oh... Oh, yes. So whether it's a video we did or we had a a guest that had some wonderful insight and they sent it over. So I I love that response. In terms of the activities, I enjoy the writing element. It's more the composing piece, the writing, the thinking of who might be hearing this and how I can word it in a way that would connect with that person and maybe help them have one of those aha moments. Mm -hmm. And I enjoy speaking, but then I'm exhausted afterwards. Like I'll, I've just spoke at the National EAP Conference. I'll be at the SHRM Conference in early 23, and I'll enjoy that hour. But I will go back to the hotel room and literally lay on the bed and just be cooked from an hour. And I'm a guy that works out, you know, two, three hours a day sometimes. So it's just a weird, it's a weird feeling.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, you can be skilled at something and do it well, but that doesn't mean it isn't training. Yeah. So this kind of speaking is easy for me, but stand up speaking (laughs) for large groups is another story. So how did you get into doing the coaching? What was your life path like?
0: Physical therapist for 20 years or so. And then my story I've shared multiple times in these formats is I got laid off. Our company sold the division to another company and laid mm-hmm. off 27 vice presidents, of which I was one of those. We did not have a plan. We did not have an organizational idea sitting in a filing cabinet. We had a nice severance package, so we weren't rushed, but we didn't have a next step. And I happened to be doing triathlons at the time. I saw my friends very energetic, never missed work, brought everything they had to work, and I thought, how could we bring that to corporate America? Well, you. You don't bring triathlon to corporate America, but you can bring health and wellness to corporate America. And when we started this in 2007, we were one of the few that put an emphasis on coaching. Now, the the coaching specifically, I'd have to credit Susanna for She's an occupational therapist, a licensed counselor. She just naturally gets that. It's a huge strength of hers. And she brought that strength in. I was thinking more operationally, like we need this and this and this. And and she has continued to nudge us. We've got this wonderful team. And so we have just gone from being a broad based wellness provider to focusing in on what we think has the biggest impact, and that's the coaching. So Susanna would get most of the credit for that. And I've just, tuned into her skill set and seen what our coaches have done. Just such amazing Mm -hmm. work. And so we've leaned into that more and more and more over the 17 years we've been doing this.
1: What did you always want to be when you grew up?
0: Oh, I'm always, I'm still trying to say that, Linda. (laughs) Uh, No,
1: but when you were little.
0: I mean, I wanted to be a pro basketball player, but that's not going to work at six foot tall and not very athletic. So I don't know. I changed degrees multiple times, thought I wanted to be an accountant because my dad was. That was a horrible Mm -hmm. fit. That was a terrible fit. I realized that one year into schooling for accounting and then went into a teaching track and a coaching track and then ended up discovering physical therapy and love, love, love that concept and and ran down that path for what turned out to be almost 20 years.
1: Oh, what was school like for you?
0: So school growing up, I was just super active. It, It was school was, I did fine, but I looked forward to recess where we played football and basketball and tag and all this crazy stuff. And then as soon as school was over, we were playing basketball and football. And so I was just super, we were on our bikes, we were skateboarding, whatever. So school was there. I studied really, really hard. I always found, and and I end up, I have four college degrees, PhD, two masters and an undergrad in biology. And yet I was never a great student. I just studied I I tell people I spent way too much time. My roommates all could get the same grades as me on half the time. So (laughs) I was dedicated. And that's a big piece of just how I was brought up is you work hard. Nobody outworks you. doesn't matter what the topic is. If it's triathlon, schooling, building the company, you're probably not the smartest guy in the room, but no one's going to outwork you. And I just carried that into every aspect. So that was high school. I was studying more than all my peers. College, same thing. So I was able to get the grades, but I wasn't able to get the grades without really, really spending a lot more time than my peers who were mm-hmm. getting the same grades.
1: What did you find most distasteful about school?
0: I wasn't a good memorizer. So I love the mm-hmm. writing, I love the figuring things out, solving problems. But if I had to memorize, and again, I was a biology major of all things, so you're memorizing <laughs> everything. So that was a terrible choice. And yet this may tell you something. I chose biology because I was told that's your best chance to get into physical therapy school. I think now if I went back and got a degree in biology, I'd be fascinated because I'm just so curious about all this stuff. But at the time, it was a means to an end. And I struggle with the means in order to get to that end.
1: Mm-hmm. And if you didn't have to work, what would you do?
0: I would have zero problems staying busy. Love meeting with people, encouraging people one-on-one, speaking at events, helping people. I just met with a student yesterday. One of the reasons I got my PhD was to get more involved with the university on a on a, not as a job, but as an impact, a support, a mentor, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> so I think most of my time would be spent doing that. And then that same kind of thing in the more Activity. So maybe volunteering as a high school cross country coach or, or something along mm-hmm. those lines where I could come alongside these kids and, and help them see you can get faster, but you can also become a better person in the process. So probably some combination of that on top of just hitting the garage gym, getting on the bike, going out for a longer run, hiking with the dog, paddle boarding with Susanna, whatever. I'm not giving her many patterns. <laughs>
1: Well, no. Part of it is I already know some things about you, so I'm like, what would be, you know, what kind of questions would I ask? For, For example, I thought about retiring, and I thought, no, I don't want to.
0: Well, mm-hmm. and and that's part of your question. Suzanne and I have had that concept of, do we start to wind things down? And we both feel like, no, even if we're not making much money off this, it's a platform to support. We're big on this idea of a mm-hmm. catalyst community and helping mm-hmm. support coaches and growing them and helping have an impact through that. Even if it's almost break-even, we're, we are we got to pay the bills. But outside of that, yeah. like, that's what really matters to us. So- I don't know if that Mm -hmm. plays into the picture at all, but that's why we're not pushing to bring this thing to a close because we feel like we've just been fortunate. We have an incredible team of coaches. They've done such great work. The people that we've had go through Mm -hmm. our training, we're just seeing what they're doing out there and we wanted that to continue.
1: Was it always like that where you were really interested in helping?
0: (sighs) On and off. Susanna is very much, she fits that idealist Mm-hmm. description to a T. And I think we've been married 30 plus years now. And I, I just love her so much. I have so much respect for her. I think I've adopted a lot of her mindset and her outlook. So mm-hmm. I would say she's much more that, and I see the value in that having spent so much time with her. So I've probably adopted that more than had it inherently. I think I, I've i wanted to move the dial, create the change, be that catalyst for change versus the authentic side of the catalyst. I like to, let's make things happen here. Let's, let's get people to a retreat and encourage them, but let's get them to the retreat and build this great thing. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I naturally fit that idealistic type outlook. So
1: when you came to the program, what did do you remember what, what you reported on the Myers-Briggs?
0: I remember coming in, I had done the assessment a couple times for premarital counseling and college graduation, that kind of stuff. And I had scored rational and I was certain I was rational. And you kept, that was where you kept going, yeah, maybe, but why don't you read this? And eventually, by the time that 10 days was over, of you, would, you did not push me into a category. You just kept giving me resources. I left feeling like the artisan was a good fit.
1: Well, a lot of clues for that. I would have you look at the 16 personality type descriptions and the self-portraits because they're based on interviews. I'd probably ask you to read page 15, analyzer operator, maybe page 13, but that's the promoter executor, and maybe page 19, the composer producer, and then try those on.
0: And folks, we'll have a link to this book she's talking about because that's a great process. And that phrase she used just now is a phrase I remember her using when I originally went through the training of try it on. And Mm -hmm. I just love, love, love that concept. And it it fits.
1: It's like shoes. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you get shoes that don't fit, eventually, you know, you're going to get blisters. So you want me to tell you the themes I heard? Sure.
0: Yeah, that sounds great.
1: I was hearing a lot of activity, like action, drive to action impact was something that, that I heard some eyes light up. I don't know I wrote wrote down composing. So I would probably, if we had longer go a little deeper into the writing part, but it's that some of that that made me think that the uh, producer composer was pattern was the one. And I would probably have you just read these little themes on pages eight and nine in this what I call the brown book, the sixteen Personality types. but the the action and the physicality. Well, I don't know. I guess I could ask you what you like about sports.
0: I've pondered that a lot over the last decade. And I don't always get out in the middle of a triathlon and think, I love being here. Sometimes it's like, this sucks. And so I think I realized I like being who I am as a triathlete as much or more than the actual doing a triathlon. I had a shoulder surgery and a couple of other things, and I'm just starting to wind back into a fit level. And I just feel like a different person. I was thinking this morning, I just feel really good right now. My running's back on track. I'm lifting consistently. I'm supplementing out with some cycling. So it's the feeling. It's it's being this person more than the actual doing it. When I'm doing it, I am hyper-competitive. You will not meet anybody more competitive when it's race day. Mm-hmm. But I haven't raced for years, and I'm totally fine with that. I still just enjoy being this person who yeah, it, it works.
1: Well, a lot of things around doing and what you're saying, the studying was a means to an end. And that was a term you used, actually, a Absolutely. means to an end. Yep. Yeah. So it feels a lot like the improviser pattern. The reason I ask about the helping people kinds of things was I was just kind of wanted to hear a little bit more about that. It's, it's interesting that you talk about Susanna's influence on that aspect of your being. And sometimes that is, comes with maturity, whether she were she were there or not you know we all kind of grow up and it's really about us growing up you know and then we get out in the world and achieve some things and then then very often we become aware of other things like take it forward and you know helping people grow and develop right my guess is if you didn't get results you wouldn't like the de- grow and develop thing so much
0: Yeah. The result, the outcome is pretty important to me. And and I Mm -hmm. feel the stress when I'm not getting the desired outcome, whether it's with our business, if we're not growing, like we expect to, or if we're not building Mm -hmm. to support our coaches, like I'd like to, I take that on myself, like, okay, then I need to work harder. I just need to dig in more. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that fits into those patterns or not, or if that's just more of an upbringing.
1: Maybe, maybe upbringing. I mean, what I didn't pick up, you know, essential motivators kind of goes pop. And then the interaction style, I had it in my head that you had an in-charge style from way back, but I don't remember. But then you said you'd like to go off and write.
0: Yeah, I, I prefer if I'm spending too much. I love people. I love supporting them, being around them, our family. We spend a lot of time together as a family. But if there's not that alone time to run, bike, hike, work in the yard, write, Mm -hmm. edit, Mm -hmm. I'm exhausted is the wrong word, but I'm much more tired.
1: It's draining. Yeah. 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 So behind the scenes, chart the course. Yeah. Sounds I, kinda chart the course, but
0: it, it does. Yeah. It it sounded like that as you were going through that. But I also love getting people involved. Like I <laughs> I'm the I'm the one who hey, here's a five K here locally, let's see if we can get twenty people to do it. I'm not the race organizer. I'm just a guy who's doing it, but I don't want to do it by myself. I want to have 10, 15 friends that go out and do it. So Mm. there's some of that as well. Are there some tiebreakers that you would help people that are maybe trying to figure out the difference between one or two of these that you would generally point towards with the interaction styles?
1: Well, it has a little bit to do with energy. So there, there are a couple of dimensions. One is, are you more comfortable initiating interactions with people, or would you rather wait and and see what's going on before you jump in? And that very often goes with extroversion and introversion, respectively.
0: So of those four, the first two, the in-charge and chart the course, would be more the initiating?
1: No, uh, in-charge is the initiating, and chart the course and behind the scenes were responding.
0: Gotcha. So get things going and in-charge are the initiating. Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah. The other thing was, oh, the dimension. So the chart, the course, and in charge, improviser uh, tend to be more directing in their communication, more time and task oriented. I kind of pick up the time and task. Yeah, that's definitely. And the the behind the scenes and get things going tend to be more informing. So give some information and see what happens. Interesting. doesn't mean they don't want to see things happen because that's part and parcel of, of the, the improviser.
0: So so in my case, that'd be a very helpful breakdown because the chart, the course then fits perfectly. It's, it's very, very, very much that way. So that's a helpful tiebreaker, if you will.
1: And those with the chart, the course improviser pattern, ISTP on the Myers-Briggs often report theorist or NT on the the actual assessments. Because if I only paid attention to your drive for learning, I could interpret that a different way.
0: Right. Interesting.
1: But it's more about what do you want to do with it? Right. Yeah. For me, it's learning for learning's sake.
0: And I think it's more for me that now, but it wasn't 30 years ago. Now I'm just curious. I just love exploring and learning and talking to all these amazing people without really an end in mind. But Mm -hmm. that wasn't true 30 years ago. Yeah. Well, Linda, thanks for doing this. I think Mm -hmm. this will be really helpful. And, And just, again, we'll have the information to contact her, to tap into her courses, to look up these books. Any final words of wisdom you want to share with folks before we hit the close button on this one?
1: No, actually, it's mostly just to you. Keep up the good work.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. It's so good to see you. Thanks again for doing this.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thanks for asking me.
0: Thanks for tuning into the number one podcast for health and wellness coaching. It was so much fun connecting with Dr. Barron's after almost 20 years. By the way, we have a big announcement coming up that I can almost share with you. But in the meantime, if you're looking for additional information about your own career as a coach, or as an employer to bring incredible board-certified coaching to your employee team members, feel free to reach out anytime. Results at CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. We'll set up time to chat. If you missed last week's episode in the midst of the holidays, you definitely want to go back and dig in. It's episode 252, and it walked you through all the specific steps involved in creating your own clear personal vision for your life. We cannot emphasize the value of doing so enough. You will experience a change in your life, I can promise you, if you'll invest the time to go through this process. And now that you've tapped into Dr. Barron's insights, you may derive even more out of that episode. Now it's time to be a Catalyst. This is Dr. Brad Cooper of the Catalyst Coaching Institute. Make it a great rest of your week, and I'll speak with you soon on the next episode of the Catalyst 360 podcast or maybe over on the YouTube coaching channel.